Yo, Chad, what if I told you there's a platform that could completely revolutionize your hiring strategy in a matter of hours? Yeah, I'd call bullshit. Well, it's not bullshit with AI for jobs powered by our friends at This Way Global. Okay, I'm listening. Uh, While everyone else is fishing in the same old talent pools, AI for Jobs can source over 160 million diverse candidate profiles. This Way Global has established unique partnerships with over 8,500 trusted diversity partners. So wait a minute. All of the hard on-the-ground work is already done. That's right, Cowboy. You can discover 300 qualified candidates per job rack instantly. Wow. It's like having a candidate sourcing magic wand. (laughs) Dude, if you had a magic wand, you would have Mexican pizzas all day. Mm. Uh, Stop distracting me, Sowash. AI for Jobs Advanced Matching Algorithm analyzes past applicants using trillions of historical matching events and over 1,600 data points. Now that is what AI should be doing, saving recruiters time on sourcing while they provide a white glove candidate experience. Let's wrap this shit up. I'm hungry. Listen up, kids. Revolutionize your hiring process today by jumping over to thiswayglobal.com and checking out AI for Jobs, where you can learn more about how to leverage AI for your recruiting instead of just writing poems and grocery lists. That is thiswayglobal.com. We out. I just don't want people to get the impression that, again, because I just don't believe in it, that there's such a thing as people that are always going to be top talent. I think that's that's kind of a myth, and it leads us to a lot of unproductive places, I think, in the world of recruiting. Hide your kids. Lock the doors. You're listening to HR's most dangerous podcast. Chad Sowash and Joel Cheeseman are here to punch the recruiting industry right where it hurts. Complete with breaking news, rash opinion, and loads of snark. Buckle up, boys and girls. It's time for the Chad and Cheese Podcast. Oh, yeah. We're getting real cerebral on a Friday, kids. Welcome to the Chad and Cheese Podcast. I'm your co-host, Joel Cheeseman, joined as always by Chad Sowash. And today, holy shit, we're getting big-brained, everybody. Okay, we got Frida Polly, co-founder of Pymetrics, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. She's a smarty-pants Harvard MBA, Dartmouth undergrad, PhD from Suffolk. My brain hurts already. Frida, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Thank uh, let you, Let me guys. apologize ahead of time for, for everything that's about to go down. No, I, this is a great way to, to spend a Friday morning. Unwind on a Friday. Absolutely. That's right. <laughs> so what what should we know about you that I didn't cover? Um, what, you don't I like mean, Irish people, and uh, what else? And I don't let them go drinking on a St. Patty's Day. Not cool, Frida. Not cool. One hundred percent. I don't know what you want to know about me. I, I was born in Italy. I'm not from this country, um, although I sound like it. So um, I'm not an army brat. My uh, moved around a lot because of my dad was in management consulting. Uh, But more importantly, I guess, for this show, uh, I spent 10 years at Harvard and MIT uh, becoming a smarty pants uh, cognitive scientist. Um, And that's where a lot of and and that's where a lot of the uh, science that we use at Pymetrics comes from. Um, And then, you know, went to the an MBA program at Harvard. And that's where I saw recruiting firsthand and thought to myself, hmm, this is, you know, all that science we'd been using to, to look at people's soft skills um, could really be come in handy um, in this problem of, of 
people to job matching. And that's how Pymetrics was born. Because, you know, really what I saw at HBS was it's not that people were confused about what was on people's resume. It was pretty clear. What they wanted to do was figure out who they were as a person, who they were as a, you know, individual human being. And they were trying to like tea leaf read off a resume. You know, they'd be like, oh, you know, Chad uh, played sports. Oh, it must be a team player, you know, or um, I don't know, Joel had a side job in college, must be hardworking. And I mean, you can actually assess, <laughs> I don't know if that's true or not, but the point is you can actually I would assess. fail the Pymetrics analysis. For sure, <laughs> no, no, this for is, sure. no, this is what recruiters are doing, trying to figure out who you oh. are as a human being, right, from your resume. Um, when you can actually measure a lot of those things directly. And that's what we were trying to do is avoid you, people. You started this thing in 2013, right? We started the science part of it in uh, 2013. That's correct. But we didn't have a product in market until Talk about being ahead of the game. Like what what the hell did you look at in 2013 and say, this this is the wave of the future that allowed you to create this? And what, yeah. how has it evolved in the last eight years? Yeah. Well, again, I mean, I think it was, again, it was my experience at HBS. So, you know, at HBS, tons of companies come and everybody's looking for a job, right? And so I was watching that process and realizing that people were still relying on coffee chats and resumes and all these like pretty outdated things to understand, hey, does this person have what it takes to do the job? And then also seeing the flip side of that, which is, you know, some colleagues wanting to go into investment banking when all their friends were like, but you like to sleep 15 hours a day. Is that really a good fit? And then, you know, they'd get the job Jeez, and then and then they, you know, two two days later, they'd be like, I hate my job. And so just realizing that the matching was was not working that well. And a lot of it was because the resume stuff is clear it's what's not on the resume that people really you know the soft skills that people wanted to understand is it is it really something that we should be doing is looking at people's personalities and saying that person's perfect for this job versus the skills they have because i mean soft skills versus the hard skills certificate you know certifications um so i would argue that you know absolutely first of all it's already what people are doing right so when they're trying to so like Take the recruiting situation at any college or school. The resumes, honestly, all look the same. They've been formatted the same way. Everyone's coming from the same school. They've all, oh, you yeah. know, it's it's very hard to distinguish. So they're already looking for how can I determine, you know, what makes this person unique. Soft skills are what make people unique. They're not about like pigeonholing people. It's actually about understanding what really makes them truly unique and 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 enabling them to be that unique person. That's the way that we view soft skills in any in any case. So it's not about homogenizing people. It's really about bringing out their, their diversity. The second piece about soft skills, <clears throat> unlike hard skills, they are far more equally distributed. So I always say you could take the same person with a particular soft skill profile and, you know, have them raised in, you know, an impoverished environment versus, you know, an elite environment. You're going to have very different resumes, <laughs> as we can all imagine. That yeah. person is fundamentally the same person, right? So if we want to start talking about equalizing gaps, whether they're socioeconomic gaps or racial gaps or gender gaps, soft skills are the way to do that. I'm, you know, there's just, I mean, if you're going to continue to rely on hard skills, hard skills are way more not evenly distributed because of different advantages that, you know, different groups have uh, in life. And not only that, I mean, that if we rely too much on hard skills, that's when we get into, um, you guys all remember the Amazon resume parser oh, yeah. fiasco, right? Well, what was wrong with that resume parser? It was learning that their top folks went to, you know, colleges, uh, like, for example, like, some of the things they had that were different were, 
you know, women go to BARD. Well, because they had more male engineers, no male engineer had ever gone to BARD, right? Because it's a, it's a female college, right? Yeah. Women play softball, men play baseball. So if you are literally training it off of a resume that has so many proxy variables for gender, race, socioeconomic status, you are almost invariably going to have some pretty big issues in terms of creating algorithms that are not biased or creating processes that are not biased versus soft skills are actually very equally distributed. So they're, they're a good equalizing factor. We have this way that we look at people in terms of are you sort of more biased to action and impulsive or are you more, um, you know, sort of thoughtful and really attentive to detail? Well, I have since the age of zero always been a little bit on the impulsive side, which makes me biased to action. That's a soft skill, right? Like where you fall on that continuum. It doesn't make one end of the spectrum better or worse. It just means Mm -hmm. that I'm going to be more predisposed to jobs where I can do stuff. And somebody who falls on the other side of the spectrum is going to be better uh, suited to jobs where they can sort of think, consider, and, you know, sort of be more um, deliberate and thoughtful. Does that make sense? And, so it's, yeah. And, yeah. and is, isn't it fair to say as, as automation comes more and more into the hard skills that the yep. soft skills are really going to be what separates yeah. the top talent from everyone else? So it's funny that you use the word top talent. In Pymetrics's view, in my view, top talent is top talent for that particular job at that particular company. Like I think Frida Pauli is, you know, top talent for Pymetrics. I don't think Frida Pauli is top talent for everything. You know what I mean? And I think we yeah. have to, it's all about matching. It's like Netflix or it's like dating apps, right? We don't, ass- we don't assume that there's like, it's, it's Rotten Tomatoes versus Netflix, right? Rotten Tomatoes assumes there's some people that are like some movies that are always good and some movies that are always bad. Netflix doesn't assume that. It says, hey, you know, Joel and Chad, you like these kinds of movies, Frida likes those kinds of movies. And we're going to optimize so that, you know, people end up in the right sort of places where they are going to perform better. So if you're thinking about top talent as like top talent for that job and company, uh-huh. 100%. I just don't want people to get the impression that, again, because I just don't believe in it, that there's such a thing as people that are always going to be top talent. I think that's that's kind of a myth and it leads us to a lot of unproductive places I think in the world of recruiting. So Amen sister. So let let's let, let me let me talk a little bit more about soft skills because whenever sure. I hear a company talk or say yeah. soft skills, I'm always thinking to myself, how in the hell are they going to defend <laughs> that against an OFCCP audit? Sure. Yeah. Well, when you think about ONET, right, and the knowledge, oh, I don't skills, want to think about ONET first off. Go. That's a mess. mess okay. We, we all don't want to think about ONET, but unfortunately, you know, ONET is a, is an important uh, thing in the in the world of uh, you know employment. And so, when you think about ONET, um, you know, or, or any way to think about jobs, there's knowledge, skills, and abilities, right? And when we think about knowledge, skills, and abilities, um, you know, knowledge is pr- you know primarily more sort of the hard skill domain. Um, But depending on skills and abilities, they can be things like, you know, attention to detail, for example, you know, and things like that, that are not that are what we're calling soft skills, right? And again, people talk about these things differently. But a lot of the things that we measure are actually, you know, uh, very directly related to the KSAs of particular occupations. So they are very defensible. And then on top of that, you know, you, we and one can do job analyses, um, you know, including, you know, interviews with subject matter experts and all sorts of mm-hmm. other ways to do um, job analysis to make to ensure that what you're measuring, um, you know, is related to the job, right? So you have the ONET codes, you have a job analysis that you're conducting to confirm or, you know, tweak uh, the, you know, initial idea uh, that you have based on ONET. And then you're building models um, that 
presumably have good concurrent validation. And then last but not least, you're doing some sort of, you know, validity analysis on the back end. So I think there's a lot of ways that you can, you can validate these things. And, you know, we have an, you know, we have OFCCP clients that use our products. So it, it has, I think, it's, it has great defensibility. And you've been up against that and defended against it. That's the big question, right? That's, and, and that's and that's the big the big stamp, I think. Yeah. Uh, so for I mean, any organization. Well, yeah. So I mean, you know, to be completely honest, I mean, we we haven't done that. I and again, I know that you know OFC, OFCCP can audit you for a variety of different reasons. I mean, they are typically going to audit you if they see just you know signs of disparate impact, right? Um, right. And so we don't. Again, I, I think I've mentioned this to you, but we don't actually. We have a way of creating our algorithms called fairness optimization, where we don't only optimize for performance; we optimize for performance and uh, lack of disparate impact. So actually, our platform won't release an algorithm if it has disparate impact. So the likelihood that we're going to get flagged by an OCCP audit looking for disparate impact is extremely low because we That's don't. That's the answer right there. We don't have any algorithms that we release that have disparate impact. But I think historically, there's been this sort of sort of dichotomy. It's like, oh, either you can have these very predictive cognitive tests, but well, they've got a lot of disparate impact. So yeah. like, make sure your defensibility evidence is strong. Or you can have these personality tests that, hey, you know, they don't predict a whole hell of a lot. Um, but, you know, they don't have adverse impact. So, you know, you're good to go. So it's sort of been like the red steak that tastes good, but it's not good for you. And the vegan burger that tastes awful, but it's not going to kill you. Right. And you know, along comes the Impossible Burger, and it's like, hey, it tastes really good, and oh, by the way, it's vegan, so it's good for delicious. you, right? And I think that, yeah, it is delicious. <laughs> by the way, Chad, I have been, <laughs> I've been using that analogy everywhere, but I think that there, you know, that's what more modern techniques can actually yield is something that is predictive. We have predictability, but that has, you know, that lacks adverse impact, and I think we have made that the impossible area uh, for so long and and you know come to find out actually you know with some n- more modern approaches to this uh, it, it's actually quite possible all right all right so we so we agree this is a trend that's happening and we also agree that there are there are pitfalls and and minefields and whatnot and i think that for a lot of our listeners or employers that are looking at at in, in, integrating this and implementing it everyone's doing matching now i mean everybody so you have right. you know what i would consider is like the briggs and stratton stuff the wonderlick stuff what you guys do. And then we get into, you know, every ATS has matching, yep, every job absolutely. board has matching. So yep. for, for someone that says, how, how do I, how do I make sense of all this? Um, do I use multiple solutions? Is there one, one solution to rule them all? Like what's the answer for someone that's looking at this landscape? Yeah. Well, look, I mean, everyone's obviously going to come up with their own answer, right? What I would say is I think that, you know, both your experience, your hard skills, and who you are innately as a human being, your soft skills are equally important, right? And they may be, you know, sort of, you might need to focus more on experience in certain cases and, you know, sort of aptitude in in other cases. Um, But I think both are are critical. And I would say that, you know, generally speaking, when you're looking at most platforms that are doing some kind of matching, whether it's an ATS or, you know, a job board or whatever, they're generally relying on hard skills, right? Because they're using resumes and job and job postings. I think when you start going into the soft skills space, then you are thinking more about what's traditionally thought of as an assessment, right? So then you are looking at more traditional, you know, like the wonder, like cognitive testing, um, or SHL or something, or, you know, a Hogan personality test or some sort of personality test. And I would say that, you know, I think there are newer platforms like Pymetrics that, you know, combine both cognitive, uh, you know, and sort of socio-emotional attributes, um, but also achieve sort of this holy grail of lacking disparate impact, but also having, um, you know, validity. So, uh, so again, I, I would be biased, obviously, towards something that can produce, 
you know, that, that can be predictive in, in that space without having adverse impact, because I think it's it's pretty critical, not just from a defensibility standpoint, but just also it aligns with what employers are looking for. I mean, you know, we all know we're in the, you know, epicenter or, you know, so the zeitgeist of the time is we have diversity and, and equality. And I think it's it's a little bit counter to the time to, to, to continue to rely on tools that have a lot of disparate impact. That's my personal view. Let's talk about adoption really quick. It really sure. doesn't feel like corporate America is truly wants to change its biased patterns and processes. I mean, seriously, we put a human on the moon in 1969, for God's sakes, and we're still trying to tackle this issue. So why are employers so reticent to adopt tools like Pyometrics mm-hmm. that would help make the process less biased and their workforce more diverse? So I guess I would say I, I would say a couple of things, right? Um, I would say that the we we work with employers who really are at the forefront of diversity. I mean, if you, I mean, I can't name all our employers, but if you were to take a look, you would see employers that you know are truly pretty cutting edge um, when it comes to diversity, including some some large OFCCP contractors, you know, who are probably the ones, you know, who who are yeah, I mean, really um, thinking about this the most carefully. So yeah. I do believe that there are sections of corporate America that, that really care. <clears throat> so that's one, one thing, right? Um, I think the second thing is there's a little bit of like a disconnect between, you know, you have the CEO of the company being like, ah, I want more diversity. And then, you know, somewhere down di- in a different part of the organization, you have somebody who's green lighting a tool, um, you know, that has adverse impact. And those two parts of the organization are not talking to each other. And, you know, why is somebody green lighting a tool that has adverse impact, well, you know, for a variety of reasons, because, you know, they think cognitive tests are super predictive, or they don't know that this tool has adverse impact or whatever. So I think it's a little bit of like, there's just a lot of lack of transparency and sort of understanding of, of these types of things. Um, I mean, I've personally seen this, right? I've personally seen, you know, d- debates between the business that's saying, hey, we should be, you know, adopting this tool. And then, you know, other folks in the in the business being like, no, 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 you know, this cognitive test has been validated and defended in court. And, you know, and you're like, sure, it has been defended in court, but we all know they have really bad, you know, they select three African Americans and five Latinos for every 10 uh, Caucasians. I mean, you're not going to get <laughs> a diverse workforce <laughs> using cognitive testing, right? And I think it's like 60% of companies still use them. So I think there's a bit of a disconnect between what people are saying they want, and then folks that are used to sort of evaluating hiring procedures, comfort level with, you know, new things when these older tools, to your point, have been battle tested, right? Will small businesses ever use tools like these? I'm guessing that your your portfolio of companies are big ass companies, right? Yeah. But do you have a, any thoughts on, does this go downstream into to small companies or maybe even gig platforms? I think it does. Absolutely. I mean, we've, we've focused more on large companies just because, you know, we're, we don't only do recruiting, we also do mobility, we do reskilling, we do L&D. I mean, anywhere where you need to understand somebody's fit to a role, right? They so also we have sort the of, money. There are a variety of different reasons, but I think that, um, you know, we focused on those companies mostly because there's just so many things you can do within those companies, not just recruiting. We've been focused almost entirely on recruiting so far, but we do a tremendous amount more. I mean, the mobility and reskilling space, I would say, is completely taking off because, again, think about it, right? Like, especially with COVID where, you know, maybe I've had to put a pause on hiring, but now my business has to respond to the environment in a completely different way. And everybody's like, oh, my goodness, I need to reskill ASAP, right? And so they're trying to understand, again, you know, soft skills is a, is a really good way of understanding what someone can be reskilled into, which is not 
possible with a resume because a resume just tells you what they've done, not what they could do, right? And so we see a lot of, you know, a demand for Pymetrics, both from the, the private sector as well as the public sector in reskilling opportunities. It's, it's a no-brainer. And then obviously also uh, a lot of the L&D market. So the point is just simply that we've primarily focused on, you know, sort of Fortune 2000. Um, but I right. think there is, you know, applicability um, beyond that. So sort of a self-serve model at some point, maybe. Yeah, maybe definitely. Cheaper. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, we, yeah. We're Joel, Joel sure. just wants to know if he can go play the, do the test. That's all he wants to know. You we I would be happy to send you <laughs> happy to send you a, a, a link. I mean, at some point, I think it'd be really cool to have like a direct to consumer oh, model yeah. as well. You know what yeah. I mean? Because we get that question all the time. Like, oh, I want to learn more about myself. This is such a cool application, you know, blah, blah, blah. So you guys do job description. You guys do candidate to job uh, matching as well, right? For the job seeker? Only in case it, we have some instances where we do that. Yes, absolutely. So okay. we, so where we would do that, for example, so we're working with the state of Ohio um, to reskill workers. So in that case, absolutely, we do that. We also like, so for example, like the, the reason I say Pymetrics is an optimization engine is because, hey, you go through Pymetrics once, you're applying to job A. Hypothetically, for whatever reason, uh, you don't get job A, we actually can help you and match you to other jobs at that company where you would be a good fit. And so we can do that, right? So that's a bit the job to employer matching. And then if for whatever reason you get dispositioned out of that company's process, we can actually match you outside of that company to other jobs at other companies that you're a good fit for. So the reason I say this is because it's not the first way that a candidate would interact with us, probably, but it's oftentimes sort of a secondary or tertiary way that that somebody would uh, would experience right. so, us. It's commercial time. You already know that Sovereign makes the world's best resume CV parser. But did you know that Sovereign also makes the world's best AI matching engine? Only Sovereign's AI matching engine goes beyond the buzzwords. With Sovereign, you control how the engine thinks. With every match, the Sovereign engine tells you what matched and exactly how each matching document was scored. And if you don't agree with the way it scored the matches, you can simply move some sliders to tell it to score the matches your way. No other engine on earth gives you that combination of insight and control. With Sovereign, matching isn't some frustrating black box, trust us, it's magic, one-shot deal like all the others. No. With Sovereign, matching is completely understandable, completely controllable, and actually kind of fun. Sovereign. Software so human, you'll want to take it to dinner. Okay, listener, how can you help your employees become more productive? I have answers. How about automating manual and repetitive tasks, giving meaning to data, then allowing that data to actually drive decisions? And how about matching people to your jobs quicker? Well, wait, the Chat and Cheese has a new LLM? No, Cheeseman. I'm talking about Text Kernel. Ah, okay. That makes more sense. What I'm hearing is the groundbreaking concept of, wait for it, yeah, simplicity. <laughs> seriously, though, seriously. Text Kernel cuts through the complexities like a tortilla chip through some hot nacho cheese. Oh, my God. Really? Nacho references already. Anyways. TextKernel brings efficiency and productivity to your operations. TextKernel seamlessly unifies your tools and data to drive efficiencies and success. TextKernel is creating new opportunities for your recruitment journey. 
Kind of like adding guac to my barbacoa burrito. Oh my God. How about extracting meaningful insights from data? I mean, that, that's something. Swiftly matching yeah. people with jobs, automating repetitive tasks. Who knew such advanced concepts were even possible in the land of human resources? Uh, we did, Chad. We did. Dude, wrap it up. I'm a little hungry. Imagine that. Uh, okay, listener, get ready to use today's tech to drive efficiencies and productivity. Visit textkernel.com. That's T-E-X-T-K-E-R-N-E-L.com. Mm, nachos. <laughs> it's showtime. Have you seen the the new documentary on hbo max persona okay okay, <laughs> yes. okay. so so yes having those i mean these these this is this is almost like an hour and a half hour 45 minute campaign <laughs> against at least myers briggs personality tests it, it, it's against personality tests really i think yeah the hit job yeah. if you read into it and and obviously a, a lot of people have their like little cultish uh, love of uh, you know their their four letters and yep. the Myers Briggs. Yep. Um, yeah. Overall, though, you know, it kind of lumps personality tests all into this one bad group. What did you think while you were watching that? Were you cringing the entire time? Sure. Or you're like throwing stuff across the yeah. room or what? No, no, I wasn't actually. I wasn't. So, um, so they had two things. They were really talking about half the movie was about the Myers Briggs, the other half was about yep. Big Five, right? So they're totally different. Uh, test. So the whole, let's forget about the Myers-Briggs. Their big point with the Myers-Briggs is it was developed by somebody who was racist. I was like, oh, well, okay. I mean, that's unfortunate for sure. But I don't think they were as focused on bad uses of the Myers-Briggs. I think the bad uses really, really was more focused on, on the big five, right? And it was following the, sto the story of Kyle Beam. And you look, I've had the pleasure of speaking with his father uh, on numerous occasions. And it's a Quite frankly, I mean, look, this may be an unpopular opinion, but this was sort of what I was saying about, I think traditional testing often puts, ranks people on a unitary mm -hmm. scale, right? So IQ says, you know, smart people are always better for jobs than, you know, less smart people. And I think, unfortunately, you know, the big five, I mean, there are lots of articles saying, you know, that people that are emotionally stable do better across, you know, all jobs and people that are, you know, conscientious, you know, blah, blah, blah. And that is just not a fundamental way that Pymetrics looks at things, meaning we don't think of what we measure as a unitary. We think of it as multidimensional, right? Like, for example, let's take the big five, right? Nobody's going to be like, yeah, you should take somebody who's neurotic, <laughs> <laughs> uh, not conscientious and something else. And that that's something that's anti-pymetrics in the sense that everything we measure isn't unidirectional. Either it's it's multipolar, right? So either end of the spectrum, like the attentive to detail versus the bias to action is a perfect example. And all of the things that we measure are, are like that, right? So I actually don't subscribe to the belief um, that's sort of held by, you know, sort of traditional practitioners of mm -hmm. Big Five that, hey, you know, we should always be pointing, you know, in one direction, which again, I think is... I think that's the issue that that movie is trying to raise, which is like, you know, you've these tests have been created so that they always recommend, you know, sort of normal people, right? People that are emotionally stable, people that are, you know, not neurotic, people that are conscientious, people right. that are agreeable. And oh, by the way, like when you look at the opposite end of that spectrum, you find people that have mood disorders, right? Because people that have mood disorders, you know, are not particularly agreeable necessarily and uh, because they're depressed, right? And, you know, they may be more neurotic because they're depressed, right? So even though it's not a medical test per se, I think the broader point 
that Roland Beam was trying to make is that you're still going to put on the unhirable end of the spectrum people that are more likely to have mood disorders. Does that make sense? And that's very unpymetrics in the sense that, again, it's back to what I said before, we don't have either end of the spectrum could be fine. Like everybody has many matches in the pymetric system. And we have like, I don't know, 700 algorithms at this models, job uh-huh. models at this point that we build. So there isn't this sort of like creation of great employees versus not great employees. It's like, it's again, it's a matching. It's it's very similar to like the idea that we're Netflix and, you know, this other system is more like a Rotten Tomatoes ranking system. Something that seems very meaningful to me is you re- did you reach out to Kyle's dad? I mean, what was that all? Was that before, after? Do you have a relationship and with any- Kyle again? Kyle is his son. So I'll be totally frank. I have a personal history in my family um, of someone that I'm very close to who has very severe mental illness. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'll be totally honest, too. I have in my lifetime suffered from depression, right? Um, this is when I was in college, um, you know, and, and it was, you know, it was pretty significant. And I, you know, had to, you know, leave school for a while and, you know, get treatment for it. And so I guess the reason I'm telling you this is I think that like in thinking about how to build these systems, I sort of came to it with this idea of like, hey, you know, we want to make sure you know, that these systems, um, again, not, we can never be 100% sure, but we want to be as sure as possible that we're not sort of, you know, um, creating a system where, you know, people with mood disorders or something else, um, you know, might be excluded, right? And so, and I say that because I think that having had that lived experience, um, doesn't, again, I, I, you know, I'm not saying it's perfect. I'm sure there's a lot of things we can improve on. But I think the fact that everybody has many matches at Pymetrics means that we're not creating a class of unemployable people. We, we know that for a fact. Nobody that goes through Pymetrics is like rejected from everything. There, Everyone has fits, right? And, and we know that because we've looked at the data, we've looked at all the millions of people that have gone through it, and we know that every one of them has, you know, m- multiple matches. So versus if you use this more unitary scale, you are creating a system where if everyone's using the same algorithm um, and it's based on, you know, certain ends of this big five spectrum, you will be creating a system where, you know, people will be permanently excluded from things. Right. So again, whether it's my lived experience that led me to, to, to build it this way, or just, and it's also just like where, you know, cognitive science is just different than traditional personality theory in the sense that it views the brain as very sort of modular and these different things that you can measure. And again, it's this idea that neither end of the spectrum is good or bad. It just makes you sort of well, better suited for certain things than others. So it's just a very different philosophy of people um, that leads to, I think, a a different design thinking. I feel like there's a little bit of a, well, there is a backlash on a lot of this stuff. I mean, the movie sort of uh, represents that, but we're also seeing, you know, facial recognition, you know, get banned in question. We're getting, we're seeing DNA tests, like uh, why, what's going on with this? Do you ever, maybe not your, your business uh, is doing any of this stuff, but do you ever feel like it's a threat that you're going to just sort of be thrown in with this group and companies will be afraid to use you. There'll be lawsuits for companies that do use these services or do you not worry much about that? Yeah, look, so, I mean, no, we we absolutely think about it. Um, I think we think about it more than we worry. So we think and we do rather than worry. So what I would say is that we have, um, I mean, so first of all, I mean, I don't know if you know this, but we hired two people from the EOC um, like years ago to come and help us build the platform, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. we really have built Pymetrics with compliance in mind. And to be honest with you, I was com- very nervous when I did that. Cause I was like, Oh my God, they're going to find something and we're not going to know. And you know, then we'll be like blacklisted. But, um, but I think we, we really put, you know, complying with federal regulations um, at the core and, and just, just general fairness, right. At the core of our product. And so that doesn't mean that 
we've solved every problem or anything like that. But it does mean that I think a lot of those things that you've brought up, I think we, we thought about ahead of time. Now, do people have concerns about using artificial intelligence? Yes, people do, for sure. Um, and I think rightly so, because we do see these examples of it being used in ways that are that are that are not helpful. But then, you know, you always have to remind yourself that, you know, hey, these older tools um, also, you know, have have issues, as we just, you know, talked about yeah. with, uh, you know, with the movie. So my only view is that no type of technology is, is always going to be, you know, good versus bad. You really have to investigate each particular technology platform differently and sort of make a decision. Can, can we play a little science fiction real quick? Uh, sure, yeah. You mentioned uh, Netflix versus Rotten Tomatoes, yep. and you've talked about sort of the customization. One of the things that yep. – a story that came out recently on Netflix I found really mm -hmm. interesting, and it's yep. not only the recommendations of movies, but also yeah. the artwork that they show people. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. So an uh, easy example is there's a white guy and a black guy in a movie, right? It's mm -hmm. Lethal Weapon. So if, if, I'm a, if I'm a black male, I might see Danny Glover – if I'm a white male, yeah, right. I, I get Mel Gibson, right? So that yeah. sort of customization is a little bit scary, but also really powerful. Do yeah. you envision a day where where job descriptions are custom in that way, or uh, we're seeing um, you know automated videos and deep fakes where you're talking to a person in quotes, but it's actually a machine, yeah. where the person you talk to is custom to who you are, sort of like yeah. how Netflix shows you. Do you envision right. a future like that, or am I way well, off base? So if we, if we just leave it in the hiring context, um, I think that would be trickier. I, I look, so yeah. only because it's a regulated space, right? Um, and I think it was like, was it Facebook that got into trouble recent, recently because they were only showing job ads to like yep. people between the ages of 20. So <laughs> yep. I think that because, you know, because of regulation in certain industries, you know, housing, um, you know, employment, um, you know, financial, you know, uh, lending, you're going to be more constrained and, and with good reason. You know what I mean? Otherwise, if, yeah, if it was a free for all, you probably, probably would be saying that, right? But there are regulations that, um, you know, to the best of my knowledge, sort of prevent that from happening, ty that type of sort of what I would call maybe more unnecessary personalization happening because you're talking about personalization there at an individual level my only point was simply to say that you know i think historically we've thought about jobs as being quite unitary and the things people need for jobs as being quite unitary right i mean just you know i mean go go google this you'll find five articles being like everyone that's smart hardworking, and conscientious is always good for a job right. right and we just have this philosophy and it's like and there's all these talent wars and there's like talent winners and talent losers and it's like it's to me it's so 1950s it's like everybody is has value everybody has potential everybody has their right fits and their wrong fits you know and i mean and again hbs was a perfect testing ground for that theory because if the theory that you need to be smart hardworking, and something else that means HBS kids would be, you know, hypothetically well suited for everything. And they're just not. I mean, it's just that's, you know, I saw that firsthand. Right. right? Um, you know, and just common sense, really. So I think it's about personalizing, not to the extent of like, hey, I'm going to show you, Chad, a different picture. It's more just around, you know, not assuming every job is the same and that these three characteristics are going to make you well suited for, for every job. You know, so Pymetrics goes through the process but with gamification, why did you choose to go through with gamification? Was it to be able to make it more of an, a pleasurable experience because tests suck? What went into that decision and how much more 
uh, research did you have to do to get that right? Yeah, so so people call it gamification because it's a broad category, but all of the Pymetrics tools that are used are actually tools that I used and, and you know the tens of thousands of cognitive scientists across the globe use every day in research. So those are actually research tools, just as an FYI. That's not true of all gamified platforms, but the Pymetrics exercises are actual scientific assays that were taken from, I mean, I used to use these in experiment, the 10 years that I spent as a cognitive scientist, like I used all of these, all of the exercises that we use um, for, for uh, talent assessment assessment Mm -hmm. in research uh, situations. So it wasn't like we had like that. So that's the core premise of Pemetrics was taking new science because it's a whole new scientific field. And we actually wrote a paper, a research brief with MIT on this recently, basically explaining how, again, it's like these tools are, you know, like if you take the big five, right? It's, it's a, it's a personality inventory that sort of has these five constructs. It's very different than what we've done, which is selected individual um, you know, exercises that look at particular modular functions within people, whether it's, you know, attention or planning or sequencing or, um, you know, risk preference or, you know, effort expenditure, things like that. So all I'm trying to say is that when I saw the problem of recruiting firsthand and knew that we had this whole new scientific way of looking at people through their behavior rather than through self-report or, you know, doing math problems, mm-hmm the light bulb was like, oh, wow, that's such a powerful new scientific approach to this problem that's historically been challenging. We like to, to highlight diversity on the show whenever we can, and particularly on the, the founder side of things. So for the for the female out there that, that wants to start a business that's looking to do this, what advice would you give her um, to, to make that leap? In particular, what challenges challenges did you face as a woman raising money uh, that might be unique to, to that to that situation that you, that would be helpful. <laughs> yeah, sure. So I was uh, not only a woman, I was a single single mom at the time. So it was wow. uh, it was kind of an interesting, yeah, interesting in- interesting time period in my life. Um, look, I think at the end of the day, like I think um, you will experience more challenges. I mean, the date like the, the data don't lie. You know, women raise less money, you know, and so on and so forth. And that's just true. I mean, you can't ever pin a particular you know, episode as being like, oh, that was an example of it. But just in aggregate, you know, that's the case. Um, And so I think you just have to mentally be sort of prepared for that. But I also wouldn't say don't focus on that, right? You don't want to like sort of have that be the only thing you have going into this process. And, you know, you have to also realize that there are people out there that are very supportive of, of, you know, women and, and you have to find, you know, I would say those advocates or those people that are going to be, you know, really supportive and, and really sort of, you know, help you along your path. So again, I guess I'm trying to strike a balance. You can't be a Pollyanna and be like, oh, you know, it doesn't exist. Sexism doesn't exist. Well, you know, unfortunately it does. Um, but at the same time, like, I think you can't let that be the reason. If you're passionate about something, um, you just have to, you know, you just have to go ahead and, and do it. And, and how important or important was your education? Because I think something intimidating about you is like you've got degrees up the wazoo. And I assume you're going to say, like, you don't need that to be an entrepreneur. No, I mean, you. well, so I would absolutely say if I had been starting a shoe company, that would have done diddly for me. You know what I mean? Like, I think what it is is like I think it's domain expertise. Yeah. Right. So I wanted to start a science company. I had a lot of fancy degrees from good scientific institutions. So people are like, oh, she probably knows what she's talking about. If I would wanted to start a shoe company or a toothpaste company, they would have been like, you have no idea what you're doing. We're not going to fund you. Right. So I don't think you need fancy degrees <laughs> to, to be an entrepreneur. I just think you have to domain expertise 
is just super helpful no matter what. And I think, yeah. unfortunately for women, it's more important because there's been research on this too, that, you know, for a guy, it's like, oh, he has so much potential. He has never done it, but I'm sure <laughs> he can figure it out, right? A woman, it's like, has she ever done it like nine times before? And was she successful each of those nine times? Okay, then fine, maybe we'll fund her. You know what I mean? So there's yeah. definitely, you know, and, and again, there's research to back that up. Um, so I think domain expertise is more important for women. And I don't think that's a bad thing, right? I mean, I think, I mean, it, I think it should be, domain expertise should be relevant for both sexes, really, right? Because I do think it really helps a lot to know kind of the, the subject that you're diving into, so. Which, by the way, you don't need a degree to have a podcast, so. Thank God for you know, me. Jesus Christ, thank you. <laughs> you just have to have a, a face for podcasts, that's all, you know? And that, exactly. It's a very small, small, narrow group of people that have that face for podcasting. You just have you. a good voice for you. And we knocked that out of the park, let me tell you. It's Frida Poli, everyone, CEO and co founder of Pi Metrics, Frida, if all those wonderful town acquisition people that are out there who who yep. finally want to get in and do this right, uh, mm-hmm. if they want to find you or they want to actually, I don't know, check out Pi Metrics, where would mm-hmm. you send them? I would send them to the website, <laughs> Pi Metrics, P-Y and then metrics, like the metric system, you know, or could always reach out to me at Frida, PyMetrics.com. Frida Pauly is a very unusual, unusual name. So if you Google Frida Pauly, they're probably, you know, it's it's one of the the the, the plus sides of having a, a strange not very common name. So P O L L I with an I. Yep. Thanks so much, Frida. <laughs> Thank you, like, Joel and Chad. Like it was a the pleasure. Metric system. Take your fancy European talk elsewhere. <laughs> we out. We out. Thank you for listening to what's it called? A podcast. The Chad. The cheese. Brilliant. They talk about recruiting. They talk about technology. But most of all, they talk about nothing. Just a lot of shout-outs of people you don't even know, and yet you're listening. It's incredible. And not one word about cheese. Not one. Cheddar. Blue. Nacho. Pepper Jack. Swiss. So many cheeses, and not one word. So weird. Anywho, be sure to subscribe today on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. That way, you won't miss an episode. And while you're at it, visit www.chadcheese.com. Just don't expect to find any recipes for grilled cheese. It's so weird. We out! The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.